0: Howdy, folks! In celebration of our recent 10,000 downloads milestone, we took in topics from you, the audience. Today's topic is brought to us by Tori Christensen of the League of Ultimate Questing podcast, a Portland-based show very much worth checking out.
1: Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player
0: on Riftwick and a Dungeon Master myself. And today, we're here to talk to you about immortality. <laughs> I am super excited for this topic. It is one that I have gone on many, many a Remy rant about just in other partially related episodes because it is a subject in which I have in Tense, just interest and appreciation for just so many things that it gives access to as a DM for the sake of world building, which we'll definitely get into uh, later on for this. So, how many ways are there in Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons for a being to become immortal?
1: Two ways, three,
0: five, six, ten. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> to be honest, I also cannot actually give a definitive number on how many there are because there are some that are just open to interpretation so to start off we're gonna go for the tried and true like known things that work and then we can tangent off a little bit more into things that might work or just ways to give your character an extended lifespan without actual immortality so One just fun thought for immortality in general is the fact that there are different interpretations of what that actually means. So it is some way to prevent your character from death, but there are options on how a character can choose to go about that. So generally speaking, it can be summed up as preventing the soul from moving on in some way or by enhancing the body in some way to prevent death of old age. And either is good, both is better, if you can pull that off. But there are so, so many of both categories. But one interesting to me detail. There are really not a lot of methods of immortality that actually stack with one another. Because a lot of them can have rather particular phrasing that prevents compatibility with some of the other methods that we will go over. So before I just start going down the list of things, so Nathan, which methods are you aware of already?
1: So what I am aware of is, if I'm not wrong, you can get a boon for your epic levels that gives you immortality. You can become a vampire. You can become a lich. Maybe something with monk level 20, if I'm not wrong. Um... Maybe uh, the druid reincarnate thing, five. Yeah, well, four and a half. So
0: the monk thing that you mentioned is one of those extended lifespan things that I mentioned, but it does have a finality to it. But we will get to that a little bit later on. Uh, hopefully, at least. It's entirely possible that I get cut off for time in this one again, because boy, are there a lot of methods of immortality. So I'm not actually going to focus as much in terms of like doing full reads on the various methods, because I do want to focus more time after that into actually going over implementation of immortality in your worlds. So, starting off, Lichhood. Great classic example. A powerful magic user does something That allows them to store their soul in an object called a phylactery. And then even if the body is killed, they just will reform in 1d10 days next to that phylactery. And that is awesome. However, there is a rather big downside in 5th edition liches in particular, which is that Instead of simply being a container for your soul, that a lich is required to feed souls to its phylactery in order to maintain that state. And that failure to do that is actually what causes 5th edition liches to begin to decay until they're just a skeleton, and then from there decay even farther to the point where they are just a highly magical skull called a demi-lich as they do not even have a full physical body anymore. So, the idea of lichhood is something that many, many an evil player character aspire to, because it is a powerful method of immortality. It is a classic one in fiction. I mean, you got your horcruxes with Voldemort, you've got the One Ring of Sauron. It's a common trope-ish, but that does give you the idea of, oh, if it's a thing and it's your one weakness, then there's a thing that adventurers can do to just put an end to you. And that is the massive trade-off of having a phylactery. So if that is something that you want to consider using in your games, uh again, more details later, but I'll simply say that there is not any written information anywhere about how much a vamp, a vampire uh lich actually needs to feed their phylactery so it is up to individual dms to make the choice that if they were to allow a player character to become a lich if they were to just want to know mechanics in terms of just a lich that they are playing themselves just as the DM against the players that it is up to the individual dms to make the ruling of how much does a Lich need to sacrifice. Is it that it simply has to be a a a sentient being every day, a sentient being, and that when you kill someone, whatever their natural lifespan would have been is how long you have until you you know need to feed it again, in which case you then have a lich that you know every 500 years goes after an elf child to sacrifice to sustain its existence and. It creates this really scary potential villain. Just liches are cool in general, of course, but you as the DM need to make the choice of how often are they going out to be fed? Because liches in particular are usually portrayed more as the solitary knowledge seeker. So to have them need to feed a soul every single day is not practical for an immortal existence, and they'd probably get chased down and killed much sooner than later. So whether you want it to be that it's, you know, however hit di- however many hit dice the sacrifice creature has, is how many days or even weeks, just depending on how powerful you want soul magic to be, to decide just, okay, there is variable in what the lich has to go over, and that could even prioritize lich preferences some may prefer to go after powerful heroes specifically to sacrifice them to just extend the time until they need to bother going out hunting again or you could have one that just is willing to. oh fine you know once a month i'll just round up 30 homeless people from the nearest large city and just be a horrible horrible being that way
1: imagine if like like this there's multitude of ways that you can go about it but there's like like the kind of lich that doesn't actually do it for the um the sustenance but just does it because they enjoy it So like think of it as like just eating food because you enjoy the food not that you need it something like that
0: entirely possible and what's actually very interesting to me about liches that I've actually never seen portrayed, it does specifically mention that like the demi-lich is restored when souls are fed to the phylactery. And that implies also that by saying that the lich only decays if they fail to feed souls, that th- it's possible for there to be a lich who over hundreds of years just has been meticulous enough to maintain full you know scheduled feeding for lack of a better phrase and so they could still just look and what would a lich look like at moment of conversion a pristine lich so would it be just like the more kind of vampiric interpretation of you describe them as just being a little bit pale is it the kind of thing where they just look exactly as they did the moment they died in which case maybe they have some kind of like stab wound through their heart as part of whatever ritual you invent to create the lich, and just having there be this creature that is unknown as a lich because it is not a skeleton creature could be really fucking cool. Uh, anyway, that is a uh, lot of ranting on liches, I should move on, because this is not a liches episode, unfortunately, for the moment.
2: <sighs>
0: anyway, uh, you did mention that there was a boot. so for reminder's sake, What is an epic boon?
1: So an epic boon is effectively what you can get once you hit that point where you're level 20. And as a dungeon master, you still want to reward your players for uh, gaining experience by doing quests and such, right? And what it essentially does is it gives your player what is like a, basically a feat worthy of someone who is above level 20. So one of which is the one that gives you immortality
0: boon of immortality you stop aging you are immune to any effect that would age you and you can't die from old age and there is very very specific phrasing in this boon that makes it so very important so one method that a lot of people think about in terms of immortality would be the resurrection spells that exist in D however A huge majority of them have one very important stipulation. You can only restore a creature that has been dead for no more than X amount of time, that didn't die of old age, and that isn't undead. So looking at resurrection for that particular phrasing. And even onto true resurrection, the ninth level most powerful resurrection spell in the game creature that has been dead no longer than 200 years and for died and died that for any reason except old age if this creature's soul is free and willing the creature is restored to life with all its hit points so there is nothing in those resurrection spells that will allow a creature that has died of old age
1: i mean so, it does that, kind of make an odd sort of sense where if you revive that that body that isn't able to stay alive will <laughs> just reappear and just fucking die again because the, the the reason why they die is because their body wasn't able to take, you know, to, to live any longer. Yeah. So of course,
0: me being the person that I am, my brain immediately just begins arguing with itself. So wait, what would that count as for a, you know, mostly healthy human who just has a stroke and dies in their fifties? Is that death by old age just due to a faulty heart? Like, what exactly does dying of old age mean? Because you don't die of old age, you die from some organ failing. That's what kills you. Yeah. So what exactly is that is something that, you know, is unlikely to honestly come up for most players, because in most situations it is pretty clear cut. But just the fact that the boon specifically mentions that you no longer age and cannot be aged are both simultaneously very interesting facts. Because there are some, you know, ghost-type creatures that are able to, like, artificially age characters to the point of death of old age, which is awesome and scary and part of why they're such a cool creature. But this one boon, which is only available, again, to level 20 characters, is something that a DD and d world is Incredibly unlikely to ever see come up in most situations, unfortunately. Uh, I have mentioned a few times before, but I am actually running an epic game myself. And what's interesting to me is that I introduced boons to players and actually went the DM like farther step of allowing them to pick their own boon when they did something that deserved that. But the fact that no one in my party actually picked immortality and i just think that that's pretty fascinating that we have these level 20 characters they do not know if they'll ever be able to gain another boon again but the idea of immortality just as a goal for an individual is always a very interesting plot in fiction that does make use of it so in a dnd game and let's move on a little bit now into the implementation side of things the question to be asked. How common is immortality in your game world? Uh, Nathan, go for it.
1: So in the world of Riftwake, right, immortality is, it, it isn't common by any measure, but it isn't actually seen as a great thing because a lot of the mythology that revolves around it Involves a lot of uh, sad people and the sad old people, and and a lot of the immortal people in my world are sad old people. One example would be um, Blackthorn, and so in here's here's the crux of immortality is that it's not necessarily a positive thing a hundred percent of the time. It's honestly more it's it's a mix between a curse and a gift, right? Where okay, sure, you get to live forever, but this. Certain things that that creates, it's like you just lose people that you know, so on and so forth. And which, in which case, people don't, there's, there are very few people who seek out immortality. And those that do find it very difficult to achieve immortality. Because though it is easier to achieve immortality than uh, in, in my rear, in the, in Riftwake, it's easier to achieve immortality than Resurrection. It is still rather difficult with Riftwake being a rather low magic world in some X. Um, especially in high magic aspects where to do with life and death itself
0: and on the topic of high magic worlds then if you have methods of immortality be a thing in your world at all and we will talk more about that specific question in just a moment it is hugely important to consider how many immortals are out there because in a high magic world where there's any example of a form of immortality to build off of and to tweak and make variations of, then there will be people who just want to either improve upon the method or have there be people just, okay, there are X methods known of immortality, and you just pick the one that best suits your style. And then the result being how many are out there. So if you have immortals in the world, How do you, as a DM, plan for them and plan around just their existence out there? And honestly, that's a tricky question because it depends on how high magic are you talking here. So I have leaned far into that spectrum. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that actually kind of spoilers in case any of my players happen to be listening to this, because this is actually stuff they still don't know, even after all these years. Immortality is a relatively common thing in my world in some form or another. So there are not just known immortals like there are a lot of people in the world who just are known to be immortal. There are people who you know, oh yeah, if you give that person x amount of gold, you know, they can sign you up for a uh, you know, some amount of immortality and it's just common and known and out there. But now let's go into one of the most debated Methods of Immortality, but this method is also probably the most actually usable. Hey Nathan, have you ever heard of a spell called Clone? Perhaps. (laughs) So, Clone is an 8th level, wizard-only spell. But, what it does is grow a duplicate of a living medium creature as a safeguard against death. It has a pretty high, uh cost of reagents that get consumed excuse me it has a pretty high cost of reagents that get consumed by the spell but by the time a character is able to cast eighth level spells they probably have got wealth to burn but what makes clone especially effective is the fact that it is an eighth level spell Uh, actually sorry i'm getting ahead of myself to backtrack just for a moment so what clone actually does though It grows a clone of the person of your choice after 120 days. And all that you need to grow the clone is a cubic inch of flesh of the creature to be cloned. So if you technically just like fought someone and like cut off a pinky or some just, you know, awful, awful, like skin flap off their arm or something like It is possible, is the point, to get ways of this that aren't willing. For the most part, it would be willing people to make clones, but that's just an angle that came to mind that I just found to be interesting. But anyway, what happens, though, is that once you have grown this clone after 120 days, if the original creature dies, the soul transfers to the clone, provided that the soul is free and willing to return. The clone is physically identif- identical to the original and has the same personality, memories, and abilities, but none of the original's equipment. Uh, the original creature's physical remains, if they still exist, become inert and can't thereafter be used to restore. Be, uh, can't thereafter be restored to life since the creature's soul is elsewhere. Uh, so yeah. Oh, also, I skipped one of the most important lines by accident. Pardon me. You can also choose to have the clone be a younger version of the same creature. It remains inert and endures indefinitely as long as the vessel remains undisturbed. So, with a cubic inch of flesh, as well as a very hefty price tag in reagents, you have a very obvious backup body that can be a younger version of yourself in the event that you die. And this is a spell with a range of touch, so it is not just the wizards themselves who can actually use this on themselves. They can use this spell on anyone. So if you just had a royal rich person who wanted to keep being the king, then they could hire a wizard and just if they were able to just, you know, pay such a powerful individual to just make 10 clones of themselves scattered across the lands with, you know, 10 more as the treasury grows every decade until their immortality is all but assured. And then if you just keep placing clone bodies out there, then every single time that they die, then they just oh OK, their body just immediately becomes the younger version. Also, this the clone spell itself does not have the restriction that if they die of old age, cannot be resurrected because the clone is Most likely the younger version of the body. So you can have the king that just dies of old age and then, oh, you know, they have a secret son that now comes into power and it's really just their younger clone. And they can just do this century after century, millennia after millennium. And it's so powerful a spell. But I mentioned the fact that it's an eighth level spell is important. And this is where we go all the way up in power to Wish. Wish, as we talked about in that episode, is a spell that, at its most basic, even disregarding the open-endedness of it, can let you cast any spell that is 8th level or lower as an action with none of the material components, which mean any caster that has Wish, which would include wizards, that would include you know, bards who pick that at high level, that would include, uh, if you used Unearthed Arcana, there's the Warlock Pact of the Genie that can get Wish. Any individual that can cast Wish can cast Clone as an action without needing that cubic inch of flesh or any reagents because no material components when using Wish in that way. And that is the peak of d d shenanigans. Because that would mean then that every single day with their ninth level spell slot, a caster could give themselves another clone body somewhere.
1: Yeah. So there was one thing that I was thinking about clone, um, that actually would apply to an instance where someone wouldn't want to be cloned because it says there that the clone is inert until the main body dies, and the guy return now goes to the clone. So say you have somebody who, um, who is quite dangerous and such, but. They have all sorts of um, channels and such that make it so that they are easily revivable. What well, you do, kill them, you have a clone ready, that clone is in jail or something, it's like in the prison, there you go, easily captured. They kill the
0: themselves, go to their backup backup clone. Well, that's a fair point. Right, but, that's the point. Um, this is w- w- so hard to stop.
1: But the, the fun thing is that, imagine that you could, it, it would be amazing as a torture method, because... You would just be able to just do it again and again and again. They would just keep on coming back and die again. uh, Yeah,
0: that's one of the fucked up things. that you don't need to be willing, I don't think. Think about a wizard who has a thousand clones out there and think, okay, I think I'm safe enough because I have clones everywhere and okay, I'm good. And then just is willing to devote that to someone who pisses them off. And then you can have them be just in the event of, you know, being tortured to death that the body may just still corpse be there, and then just the new one wakes up in the basement. However, there isn't out oh, just for such things. Your own
1: corpses. So w-
0: That just makes you question the will to live. The soul has to be free and willing to come back. That is a very important distinction, oh. and that is that's, the that only sucks. real limit on the clone spell. But that's the question. If you are, like, let's say it's a player character that is getting tortured by a wizard with clones does that player character feel that their character wants to come back more than they want to escape what is being done to them? And that is a hell of a question that could be explored just as a story moment in a D&D game that I've certainly never seen played out in that way. Just how to, as a DM, focus on that free and willing to what choice would be made in that situation. Like there are I so mean, that's many definitely story a very moments.
1: hard question. <laughs> right? Because most of us, in, in the face of such a reality, if you were tortured, most of us aren't exactly sure how we would react, and there's probably some of us who would be like, maybe I would, you know, just give up <laughs> at a point. You know.
0: Yeah, it's it's so strange to think about because there's implications, too, that aren't super addressed that I just am curious about, which would be, let's say I had a you know, 15-year-old version of me as the clone in my vessel. So Uh I die, I wake up as 15-year-old Remy, I have all of my memories of normal, but then I have the hormones of 15-year-old Remy again. (laughs) 15-year-old Remy was not the (laughs) smartest individual. So I'm very curious, like, would you suddenly have just, like, weirdly impulsive princes actually be, like, the just going on vacation, you know, dead king? Like, how open do you want this to be because it is no components for anyone who casts wish and because it's replicating an eighth level or lower spell this does not trigger the potential loss of wish as open wishes potentially can so there is no danger and no cost of someone using wish to create clones but it also can get crazier this is also one of the only methods that specifically does not say about dimensional barriers basically you don't have to be on the same plane to inhabit a clone so once you have a thousand clones on the material plane you can put a thousand clones throughout the astral sea a thousand clones in the shadow fell a thousand you get the point there is no limitation you just move to the nearest clone when your soul when your body dies. So if the material plane was obliterated by a fight between the gods, the elementals, and Cthulhu, you could still be okay if you had a clone just on another plane, even if the world itself is destroyed. It is a ridiculously powerful Wait, spell. Wait, Remy,
1: I've got a question. Are, are, yes. there any, are there any creatures that can hijack a body? Absolutely. Quite a few, in fact. So that, that's what I was thinking as a oh boy, possible plot point. an intellect devourer have-
0: taking over a clone body? That would be a terrifyingly effective method to get an aberrant infestation. Oh, that would be so cool. Although, to be fair, they are usually in a like sealed container, the vessel. But hopefully, most people who have clones would have something guarding them, unless they just have so goddamn many after so many years. However, it also gets even more crazy when you consider the other 8th level spell, Demiplane where you basically create a small extra-dimensional space that you can then just put stuff in. It's just like a room-sized area. So every day, you could just cast Demiplane, put your clone in different Demiplanes that are extra-dimensional spaces, and therefore not exactly taking up any real like physical location. So there are many, many... Ways to use just the clone and wish combo, or even just clone, if you just had someone wealthy enough to afford all the components, to become truly immortal in the sense that there is no way to actually kill them. However, 5th edition thankfully does have one method, at least that comes to mind for me, to stop people from actually hijacking body to body. Which is another ninth-level spell, imprisonment, and this is another really cool spell. Uh, Also, just minor tangent on the tangent, imprisonment is actually the spell that is described as necessary for a lich to know, because imprisonment is the spell that a lich has to use to feed a soul to its phylactery. So it all kind of comes full circle, which makes me happy. But anyway, what the imprisonment spell normally does, though, is that you just create some magical. Imprisonment, and there's like a list of options on how that can take effect. And it lasts until dispelled, which requires very specific circumstances. So, this is the counter to, you know, clone hoppers. So, if you have people that cannot be killed, but then you just have to find a way to lock them up in some situation that prevents them from just actual death and therefore just hopping to a new body so this is the only way that i can think of to catch or stop such individuals technically there would also be options if you did have some way of trapping a spell but there was such an item in fourth edition the helm of seven deaths that was able to do such a thing but i don't actually have any that come to mind in fifth edition there may well be some in fact actually no uh, there definitely is uh shoot what is it called a ring of uh, the ring that stops telepathy from working on you. It's an uncommon magic item, but it has a secondary, less known effect that if you die while wearing the ring, your soul gets trapped in the ring. So, if you were to force an item like that on someone who could then get trapped in the ring instead of moving on to another clone body. So, yeah, having some way to trap the soul is kind of the only thing that you can really do to stop such individuals so there are many more methods of immortality actually still out there but we're already going slightly long so maybe i'll just do an immortality part two at some point in the future to go after more of the other ways Uh, i'm going to just very quickly go through here just that there are some classes that give you significant extension of life without actual immortality so you mentioned uh monks at the start and that certainly is one of the options available so all monk, regardless, monks, of, regardless of subclass, uh, get a feature at 15th level that they do not suffer frailty of old age, but can still die of old age. So technically, they still just will age as normal, but they do have another ability called Empty Body at 18th level, which allows them to astral project themselves, which very specifically in that spell puts the body into suspended animation while the astral projection takes place. So all monks then of 18th level and up can, with 8 key, which refreshes for them as a short rest, puts their body into suspended animation and allows them to basically explore the multiverse in the astral sea. So... That's kind of a method of immortality in its own right, it's just that any time that you end the spell, you would then go back to your body, and in the event of anything bad happening to your body, then you would also die. But it is a method of immortality. Also, Paladins, at a 15th level with the Oath of the Ancients, gets a Undying Sentinel feature, which also has them suffer none of the drawbacks of old age and can't be aged magically. So, again, reducing the downsides of aging, but not quite as useful. However, druids is one area it gets kinda nuts. Timeless body at 18th level. Every 10 years that pass, your body ages only one year. And that also leads to one of the druid spells that in its own right is a method of Immortality, and that is the reincarnate spell. So, this is probably like the easiest one to gain access to, in that this is only a fifth level spell that druids have, which means that they'd have it available as early as like ninth level. So, there's much more potential for this to be, you know, bought or accessible, assuming that you have, well, probably not bought because druid, but something that could be done to make an arrangement because this spell is ridiculously effective. So you just need a dead humanoid or piece of a dead humanoid. So there's no actual words that says how much. So technically, if everyone in the party had like a toe from one of the others in the party, then the entire party could get resurrected by this if one person survived. And Normally, you need a 9th level spell, True Resurrection, if you don't have the body, but because you only need a piece, this is enough. Anyway, uh, they do also have to be dead, dead less than 10 days, but the spell forms a new adult body for it, and then calls the soul to enter the body if the soul is free or willing to do so. What is also cool, besides just that it makes an adult body, which, again, could be open to DM interpretation, do you choose to have that be just an average aged adult? Do you do a role to see how adult, whether that is like an 18 year old or is that like a 30 or 40 year old? That is completely open to DM interpretation, but it changes most likely the race of your character. So when they say reincarnate, they mean that rather literally. So there is a D100 chart in the spell itself that lists out the normal player's handbook races options to show you can reincarnate as a half-orc even if you were like a tiefling or a human before you could become a drow you could become a mountain dwarf you could become a dragonborn like it's the player's handbook races are all just on this list and it would not at all shock me if there are new lists updated out there that have the newer races that have been introduced over time so i would probably suggest looking for that because that would be helpful uh, also, what's nice about reincarnate, it does have a rather significant material cost of a thousand gold, which the spell consumes, but considering the fact that a normal Ray dead usually has a 500 of diamond cost anyway, the fact that this is twice the amount of gold needed, the same spell level as Ray's dead, restricted to druids only, which does make it somewhat more difficult. But the fact that you do only need a piece of the body and the fact that, again, because this creates an adult body, if you had like a druid in the party or just a friendship with, you know, a druid for some long period of time in game, then you could very easily just make the arrangement that, okay, you know, they will just reincarnate you every 50 years. You know, so as soon as you start getting gray in your temples, you just reincarnate into a new adult self into just some other race, mostly. And that's just a weird thing to think about, just that a fifth-level spell does give a method of immortality that works. So, before we wrap up, and we do need to soon, because we are certainly going long, we do just need to talk about using immortality in your world. So, with that being said, Nathan, how prominent or rare do you think immortality ought to be in, like, various magics' worlds?
1: So... It honestly depends on what kind of uh, role immortality plays in your setting and story. Because when it really comes down to it, there's a lot of ways that you can represent it and the things it does. And so my personal opinion would be, in low magic worlds, you can basically have it as this sort of unattainable thing that people theorize about being possible, maybe. Um, but it's simply not possible with the kind of magic they have. And with with a lot of low magic worlds, that's kind of the point of it, where you have um, people not being able to do these special kinds of spells. But in a medium magic world, you can have the more traditional sort of, uh, well, very few people have immortality. It's a rare thing. Maybe it's known it has a bad name because the few people who have it need to do a lot of horrible, horrible Kind of magical methods to actually obtain it um or in high magic worlds, it's simply something that just exists. Uh, people use it like any other thing. think of it as like oh uh, I'm gonna go to bed this evening, you know something like that, and yeah, it might not be all that um out of place to just have immortals uh, in fact it, it might be a case for maybe immortality causes um becoming an immortal means that. Oh well, shit, you're not able to uh, reproduce anymore. And, and that could be an interesting an interesting thing where essentially you just hit that point where it's like, well, geez, um, guys, uh, people have been dying a bit here and there because uh, you, you know, people get into fights and stuff, right? And we're just running out of people because over time, uh, since no longer able to reproduce or something, it's just like everyone's dying and there's no one left. And that could be an interesting end to a race of um, people. Yeah,
0: there are so many different angles that the thought experiment can be done on, but it boils down to, as for all d things, does the existence of more or less frequent immortality influence the world and the style that you're trying to make and the story that you're trying to tell? Maybe you just want it to be that, ah, the reason that so little changes in the D&D world is because, you know, they might have new bodies or reincarnations or what have you, but it's actually the same 12 people have been in charge of pretty much all of the kingdoms for the last 4,000 years. And that that is actually the secret reason behind like the kind of stagnation of D&D culture is because, you know, the people behind it are just the same individuals. Or you could have there be the kind of huge, bombastic campaign style of two immortals just have gotten into a feud and have just made a judgment that for the next 100 years, they are just experimenting to see who can kill the most people. And you just have these two immortals that are just in just war with each other to just try to just meet some nebulous goal. And so I said just kill the most people. But let's say it's not even that. Let's say who could just create the most powerful being to represent their magical knowledge and power. And then you can have that be like the origin story in your world that the Tarask and some other great Beast were the result of this clash between these two wizard immortals, and that all of these, you know, powerful creatures across the land is really just these two bored guys that are just constantly fighting each other, trying to create weird shit to keep life interesting. Because, as Nathan mentioned earlier, immortality can very much be viewed as a curse. Human minds are really not adapted for long periods of time. Human minds are not adapted to solitude for extended periods of time. Even someone as introverted as I am can still be uncomfortable going months without human contact, let alone the potential decades or centuries that some true immortal may have exposed themselves to. So having there be insane immortals could also be its own plot point where there are people who are immortal and cannot die but like lost enough of their mind that they're just a kind of speed bump to adventure is like you know basically someone who's like a kenny from south park where it's just like we can kill him as much as we want to but he keeps fucking coming back we don't know how he's even doing it anymore we thought he ran out of clones but he keeps fucking coming back so you can have immortals be this powerful world-ending threat. You can have them be a comedic nuisance. Just because most undead or uh, just immortals are portrayed as evil, it could entirely just be someone who's just such an introverted nerd that they did make the choice to just become an eternal scholar. And then maybe there can be some (laughs) great library that just has the librarian just be a lich that's trying to just collect all knowledge at this great library. And that's actually a pretty cool character. So the guy probably has to do awful things, but considering that, you know, the souls to be sacrificed, maybe the Lich even makes a deal with like local kingdoms that he will allow access to his library as long as he, you know, gets the life sentence criminals to be sacrificed to maintain his life. Like there are definitely places where that could be a win win kind of situation. So just because so many are evil, doesn't mean you can't do a good lich or a good vampire, which I definitely did not mention enough in this episode, if at all. I didn't at all. Vampires, too. Type of immortal. Uh, not a lot of specific rules in 5th fi- in edition, but definitely something that is a known quantity out there and a known, you know, really powerful, famous type of creature. So I am out of time, but in summary... <laughs> There are a ton of methods of immortality and the existence of immortals in a D&D world can add a lot of interesting, different plot twists on famous tropes throughout history and anything that adds something fun to your game
1: should be done. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast start as low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord where we build a chat with the cast and even the shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at RiffWake Podcast, on Facebook as RiffWake and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash RiffWake Podcast. And now send us an email riffsandrules at gmail.com.
0: That's riffsandrules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I'm definitely going to need to do an arc two of this. <laughs> <laughs>